0: I'm Scott Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the GAF Podcast. This podcast is for professionals who want to work in the advisory space. It's a series of conversations and essential frameworks to give better advice. It's the stuff they don't teach you at uni. It's where value sits. So buckle in, volume up, let's go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the GAF podcast. Very excited to have Steve Prenderville here from Forte Asset Consultants. I hope I've got that right. Uh, Steve's <laughs> asset, a, solutions. It, asset Solutions. Asset Solutions. <laughs> there's a good start. But Steve's a journeyman in this space. If you've worked in wealth management, financial planning, you would have heard this name uh, over and over again. And it's a broad, broad uh, service business. But Steve, welcome. I've got so much to talk to you about, from licensing to valuations to industry trends. But just great to have you. Thanks for giving up your time today.
1: Oh, thanks for the invite. I appreciate it.
0: Good mate. Maybe you help me. Let's talk about your background. How did you get into Forte?
1: You look. I suppose uh, thirty plus years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Several years ago. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Look, started off in banking in New Zealand, uh, stockbroking in uh, the UK, came to Australia in 87 and became uh, Australia's youngest financial planner uh, in September of 1987. Oh, uh, yep. yeah. Uh, and then from there, it's sort of from advising to creation of a dealer group, National Mutual Financial Planning, as it was then. Yep. Went to First state funds managers in the 90s, which was just a fantastic uh, exposure, um, and then accepted a partnership into Deloitte's, and that was um, as a partner and also CEO of Deloitte Financial Services, high net worth um, advisory group, and grew that. It was then sold um, to the aggregate, aggregator Stockfords, and. Ah. I, I saw the destruction of a business that I loved. Um, I was on garden leave for 12 months. um, And in that period of time, I literally just walked the beach most days. I sort of knew what I didn't want to do. um, And that was really go back into the dealer space, go back into uh, funds management. And it sort of eventually, you know, came to me after the grieving the loss of my business <laughs> and, and having uh, seen probably what shouldn't have happened on an M&A transaction. I went to an FBA, uh, uh conference and I had a lot of people coming up to me because it was a fairly public sort of disaster. Yes, um, oh, you yeah, brought and- back. You brought back
0: memories yeah. for me, Stockford. I haven't heard that name for a while.
1: Yeah, and it was then everyone started sharing sort of the horror stories, um, and it was from that that I thought it should never happen again, and there had been no specialist M&A group just on financial services. Uh, so in um, it was 2003, um, I created one. Wow. And, and that's really sort of – Led to um, where I, you know, 19 years of primarily selling financial services businesses. So, so
0: tell us about Forte now. What's it look like in terms yeah. of services?
1: Yeah, primarily our core is vendor advocacy. So we'll take a business to market. Um, because of the number of transactions that I've done over the 19 years, we also value businesses, and we can use the theory of recurring or EBIT. But we also do the overlay of recent sales, so there's a currency of information, I suppose, with you know the transaction I just did last month or the five that I'm currently doing at the moment. Right. Um, and then there's some consulting services um, that are, uh, come from that as well. But my core activity is sort of selling uh, financial services businesses.
0: Great. Right. Now you know, not to go back too far in history, but, you know, let's talk just pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID. <laughs> How was that for you?
1: Yeah, well, pre was sort of, um, we were sort of lurching in from the Royal Commission and then the handing down of the Hain. So we were in a crisis state as as an industry. Yes. Um, And then we went into COVID and, and then for, you know, that was, a trying time, but I also think it was a time where as an industry we actually lifted, we responded to client needs, we advised them about eligibility with JobKeeper and what government yes. grants were available. Um, we also, through that period of time, everyone was forced to adopt technology like Zoom and Teams yes. and, and also it was probably one of the highest periods of client communication that we had seen. So everyone rose to it. Um hmm. And it was difficult, and it was crisis, but we' had been lurching from one crisis to another. So, yeah, um, and I think we came out of that with probably greater standing in the community for this, you know for the level of communication, you know, be it market gyrations or um, eligibility of of of, um, of the stimulus packages. So, We came out of that and we also probably where we find ourselves now is probably greater legislative certainty than we've had for the last three years. So I think we were in relatively still waters. Um, I think we're all um, looking forward to uh, the quality of advice, uh, review recommendations what's been coming out so far, I think are really quite very, very positive. I think it's going to liberate many people's back office, um, and which is really straining at the moment. We've got organic growth now as well, with the greater need uh, for advice. Also substantially less competitors uh, yes. as well. So we've got all we've I think we've we've faced the the, the darkest of days. But I also think that we're actually um should be excited for a, a whole new era uh, oh, great.
0: I, I love the way you've articulated that thanks for that um from from where we were to where we are <laughs> no, i really i do i do i like a lot of those thoughts so where are we up to now in terms of you know i, I want to talk about broad wealth management services to boutique to institutional if i break it up in that but you know, take me through the the journey of an A.M.P. broad based. Use A.M.P. not as just a, a poor example of, you know, where are we up to on the journey of a business and a business sale, given the politics and you know royal commissions that you know some, the broad based businesses faced.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Well. Uh, i think a m p was is probably an exception. They had yes. the worst of it. they had the worst of it. you know the epicenter was within a m p um but it was still relatively similar across the industry um, and that was that the hardest hit were those that were sub five hundred thousand in revenue. Right. Um, many dealer groups um, made a decision that there just wasn't economic, that the reward to them was um, less than the risk to them. Yep. Um, also, many of those businesses were very mature businesses and had exposure to grandfathered revenue as well. And so the – but it should be – I'll go one step back, if I may. Yes. T- we've got – we've lost 10,000 advisors as the headline. Uh, But you're looking at probably seven and a half of those were accountants that were trading under exemptions and primarily in the self-managed super fund creation and ongoing um, service area. The second cohort was was the salary bank advisors. Yes. When we actually have a look at what's happened with what I would consider to be full holistic advisors, we've probably only had a drop of 3%. Um, an interesting, interesting, yeah, yeah advisor wow. ratings came out with a quality uh, assurance and the, what's happened is the quality of advice has substantially lifted because we don't have any peripheral players now. The core professionals have committed to education, they have committed to you know service offers, moved to fixed fees, all of this. So I think that you know, many people have said to me, oh, you must have been so busy in the last couple of years with all the exits the reality is there was no businesses transacting it's actually the reverse it's the least amount of supply i've ever seen ah. uh, so yeah interesting um, so it to answer your question what's happening i think there's been significant amount of pain um i recently was part of a, a mental health survey and there's no doubt that there's still pain today um and as I said, epicentre AMP. The, the epicentre was really the banks coming out of the advice, um, and which I think's probably an overall positive because uh, there was obviously a trust deficit um, yep. with that bank's participation. <laughs> That's a lovely term, <laughs> trust deficit. <laughs> and it cast a shadow across all of it, and, yep. and, which was unfair. You know, the Royal Commission... Put us all on the one uh, one. Yeah. So I think that there's a restoration of of trust. Yes. Um, and also less competitors. I though I think that there may be a return of that under the quality of advice and particularly more uh, digital advice. But I'm so straight, straight off subject. I know. No, what.
0: no, no, no. It's good though. I love the. I do love it when we stray off. But I wanted to, if it, just within that context about. You know, for a broad, what I'm trying to understand is for a broad, the journey for a broad based business, such as an AMP or whoever, who had multiple, had grandfathering and trial commissions and some fixed fees and blah, 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 blah. Um, What's the ride been from a valuation point of view for those people heading into the heading
1: to where we are today? Yeah. okay. so as an industry, we were sort of generally speaking, we're at three times recurring revenue um, or six times EBIT when they um moved bowler from four times down to two and a half the whole industry sort of came from three down to two and a half right um but there was also a period where everyone was sort of frozen both buyer and seller because we had all this legislative uncertainty yes. and we also had to fix our own houses yep. and so yep. before you take on anything else you want to make sure your own house is right And that being right was really having a look at your service offer, your value proposition, your pricing, your tech um, stack as to how you're going to deliver that. Um, And then really looking for um, efficiencies, what were you going to do with your asset management? Um, All of of a sudden, we had to go back and work on our businesses. Mm. And everyone had to. Absolutely. And what we've got now is better businesses. You know, we don't have large clients subsidizing small clients. We now look to profit per client. We look at the service offer that's delivered. I think uh, we're obviously uh, have only engaged clients now, so there's no lazy money. Uh, And that changes, you know, changed all of the financials uh, for many anyway, with grandfathered uh, uh, revenue being removed. And so all of us went back sort of, and looked at the business. And so valuations have come up. Um, if I bring an asset to market in metropolitan uh, capital city, I'll have somewhere to 30 to 50 buyers to every single asset. Uh, and uh, we're sort of not selling less than three times um, yep. or, or six times either. But it, it's not demand inflation. It's actually just better quality businesses.
0: Yeah, that's a really great... Um uh, point because we and you know I, I grew up in the AMP era you know 30 years ago yeah. where you where your points made that we've gone from being sales machines to actually turning into a real business
1: yeah and and it is a profession uh, and we're getting recognition for it and i think that that'll only uh, continue to grow we've got great corporate com- <laughs> compliance and overviews and regulators you know, one of the highest regulated industries uh, in the world. Um, And so I think that uh, and there's never been a greater need for advice, and that'll continue if we can move down into a recessionary environment. Uh, So I think that we're really well positioned. And where
0: where are we on that journey from industry to profession, do you think? Are we midpoint? Are we – we've started? Where are we?
1: Yeah, look, I think that we're probably – 70% uh, there. I think that um, more education, you know, that as more university sort of ones where the problem we have is um, we're not refilling the cup, you know, it's the recruitment sites. Now, one of the biggest issues, one of the greatest inhibitors that we face at the moment is that the vast majority of practices in this country are at full utilization. There's no spare capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, Smaller businesses—they're limited to bringing on maybe one new client a month. Yes. Uh, um, and so we've got our own inhibitors, and for many, it's because there's been—we've been in this one shock after another for multiple years. It's the first, and there's probably been underinvestment in many businesses. For sure. Um, and that's primarily in personnel. Many don't carry spare capacity. And Yet now we've got all this growth emerging, uh, so I think that's one of the issues. And yes, we've got all these exits, um, but we're not re- with we, we've got very little newcomers coming into the marketplace. But I think that'll change. And I think once we start attracting new talent, and it'll be from multi discipline areas, it'll be from the accounting space, from the legal area. It'll, and I think that. We, once we start to get recognition within the universities, and there is already, but I think that'll continue to grow, and a greater respect around the profession, then I think you know, that's where we'll come into a true profession and and being recognised uh, when, yoked know, by school leavers.
0: Gotcha. <clears throat> now, just back to the boutique space now, we're seeing a wide range of boutiques from, you know, from... High net wealth, or you know relatively high net worth right to multi-family office, and in some case, family office space. That seems to be a a growth area, something I'm you know uh, passionate about is this move up the spectrum towards more complex high net wealth clients who can you know value your services. And for, for me, it's always around having less clients, higher relationships. but have you seen, you know, in your uh, walking around the streets, banging on doors, are you seeing a growth in that area? And how did the valuations start to stack up in those slightly different businesses?
1: Sure. Um, so, one, everyone's had to do that with the affordability of advice, with the increasing of costs, 24, you know, the average business is operating at 24% EBIT uh, at the moment. And their costs over the last three years have increased by 40%. That's in the areas of PI and the like. And so 100,000 clients were orphaned in the last 12 months simply because they couldn't afford the new costs that have have come through. Uh, What I'm I'm seeing on the family or ultra high net worth um, one is actually they have been coming down and buying high net worth boutiques in preparation of potentially legislative Change in regards to qualification as to who's sophisticated, moving away from the two and a half million to five million, the sort of expectation that there'll be sort of more retail protections to that area, which I, I believe there should be, just mm. because, you know, um, the real estate is now over two and a half million uh, or they can kick yep. a football better than anyone else. It yep. doesn't make them sophisticated investors. Yes, so, that's been,
0: it's been a common theme on some of these podcasts, that, right. that discussion point. Yeah, but great.
1: Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I think that there's been, um, the, there's been acquisitions by ultra-high net worth family offices into high net worth businesses so that they can cascade the intellectual property up. Um, and yes, every, most businesses have had to be moving up in scale of their clients purely because of affordability. Uh, when the average cost to service a client is deemed to be three and a half thousand dollars uh as a cut off we are seeing that um uh, so there's um uh, also what we're seeing is the creation of super boutiques um and mm. that's where we're seeing um uh, yes they're high net worth but they're also now getting into in excess of you know 1 billion 3 billion of thumb um and so and they're sort of a vacuum created by the exit of the banks is being filled by these boutiques super boutiques the rise of independence but also uh, we're seeing you know new capital coming offshore in or um or capital that is actually done domestic as well and and
0: why is that sorry two questions there i think is that's really interesting the super boutiques um I can see that happening. We're seeing the biggest transition of wealth ever. Yeah, uh, we've you know we've seen a lot of money coming in from overseas for, from an investment point of view. But to your point, now we've got institutional investors from overseas wanting to come into
1: Australia as well,
0: or, or already here, buying yeah. up wealth management practices. Have you had much exposure to that market?
1: Uh, yes, I have. Um, I've sold businesses um, to them, um, actually meeting a new one next week. Uh, so more are coming in. Um, and, and without breaking confidences, I
0: don't need to know the names. What, what What's their interest? What's the why for them?
1: Well, I suppose fourth largest uh, superannuation system in the world and growing. You know, we're looking at moving to four point eight trillion dollars. Uh, by 2027. Uh, The other one is exchange rates. Um, So if you're US and we're at 60 something cents at the moment, there's simple arbitrage. Um, Part of it is also we have built better businesses. Many businesses are actually operating at 35, 40% EBIT or greater, which is giving more than a 15% return to investors. We're in a legislatively... Um, uh, knowing environment as yes. well, uh, high levels of oversight, which makes it a relatively safe uh, area to invest in as well. Uh, so there's a number of sort of uh, I I, th- I think, um, and also some actually want to learn from what we've gone through as well. Again, that IP sort of flowing uh, through. There's many that are coming in and going, okay again, with the exit of the banks, there's an an opportunity for disruption. And that's tech plays or or funding the creation of uh, mega uh, boutiques or super boutiques. Um, There's also a a real issue we have within the marketplace and not just within our industry, but across all of Australia. And that's succession and where many where you're likely success or, uh younger but have you know little kids and big mortgages how do they then sort of you know buy out the principal um and so they're now becoming in uh, as an investor lot and will take minority or full interest
0: yeah it's quite a, there's quite a number of boxes that i can see that they, that ticks for them from an investor point of view one is obviously that you know. The relentless pouring of money into superannuation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A guaranteed uh, income stream there. I'm, I'm just laughing that I'm hoping they're not coming over to buy distressed assets, but uh, I don't think they are. So, no. Steve, that's that's great. Let's just keep moving along now. Licensing, self-licensing. What, what's the trends there that you see at the moment?
1: Okay, so the biggest trend that we've seen was the migration of the advisors, which was coming out of those bank owned institutions and going to medium to small dealer groups. Sub 10 was uh, normally where they were going. Uh, That migration has uh, basically ceased to a large degree, uh, but there's still a preference for small rather than large so their individual voices can be heard. Um, there's a lot of, you know, speculation that we'll all move like accounting to self licensing. Yes. Um, but, however, where do, sorry. Where do you land on that? Um, I think um, that maybe in the future, but the biggest hurdle we have is PI. Uh, PI insurance just won't stretch to individual assessments like mm. that. Um, yeah. So it's a good uh,
0: concept, but it won't <laughs> struggle to get there.
1: Not yet. You know, PI is one of our biggest issues that we face. Um, Any business and the growing cost of it, the reduction of Lloyd syndicates um, to outmaking allocation to be it geographically and then industry-based to us. Um, So I think that that's probably the greatest hindrance. I think that there has been the growth of independence. We've gone from 70% institutional domination uh, of distribution to now r- complete inversion, where it's 70% independence mm, in a uh, very
0: short period of time.
1: Yeah, and that's why there's so much pain. You know, there's such yep. dramatic change in such a short period. Uh, but I think that's fantastic. And I, I, and I think that that's quality of advice is more assured. We're not just getting homogenized advice punched out um, at the moment, anyway. it's It is individual advice.
0: And just
1: a, a comment on
0: the accounting profession with wealth management.
1: You know, uh, there, there was a
0: lot of very, very small JVs that have seemed to have disappeared, but now seems to be some of the bigger accounting groups are getting themselves organized.
1: Uh, yeah, they are. Um, and what we're seeing is probably the growth of multi discipline practices where it may be accounting, but then I'll have financial planning, it will have risk, and it will have mortgage. Uh, services under the one, it improves valuation from the accounting perspective instead of moving from the traditional sixty cents to one dollar uh, on maintainable uh, revenue or four times EBIT, they move straight to a dollar uh, because you're putting more fences around the client um, and also you're dispersing key person risk when you're dealing with a multidisciplinary team. So from a valuer's perspective, I really like seeing multi-discipline because you've got so many different contact points around the individual client. That's really
0: interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> are you seeing resistance from traditional wealth advisors who want to buy a multi-disciplinary practice? Like, who's buying those in the future? Is it other multi-disciplinary practices? What's the mindset there? Because that's a, you know, are you mixing apples with oranges?
1: Yeah, Um It's normally multidisciplinary, uh, mainly because if you are a financial planner and you buy an accounting and FP, all of a sudden you've got a skills gap. And if the principal that's exiting is uh, on the accounting, then you've got to bring a partner in. Now, if there's successors in the business, then that's fine. But most businesses are relatively small. So the reality is similar sized businesses buy similar sized businesses. Uh, and, yes, we do have some big players um, that are buying smaller, but the vast majority of transactions I do is just similar businesses buying similar businesses.
0: All right. I think you've just answered the qu- now my next question, which what does a great wealth management business look like for you?
1: When you uh-huh. walk in
0: and go, oh, I
1: like this one. Yeah, okay. Um, so starting from the top, I suppose, is that there's multiple partners and so that immediately diminishes key person Uh, but when you've got multiple partners you'll also find that you've normally got greater corporate governance and oversight and that there's a board and reporting and when soon as you start getting more reports uh, required on a monthly basis you start to get a hell of a lot more information on the business and then you and how you can improve it um, and you've also got career structures for, um, employees, you've got, you know, HR oversights, all of that is, you know, fantastic for client, uh, for, um, staff retention and attraction. Um, and then, so that's sort of the top, um, and no, I like it. Yep. Yeah. And then it's, so then it's, so that's from a starting point for me, uh, you know, I, I really feel a lot more comfortable, in, so, where, and you,
0: if, if I cut to the chase, those types of businesses can command a premium
1: in the market. Absolutely. Um, but, and, and it is a fairly big but. <laughs> but or and. Yeah. <laughs> yeah in that, you, you've got a lot more in within those businesses fixed costs. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a higher higher EBIT ratio. Yes. Um, so, yes, you've diminished. Low, maybe lower risk. But, yeah, you've yeah exactly. You, you have um, diminished the risk yes. um, side, um, but you may not have really uh, changed the multiple too much. Uh, but yeah, look, larger businesses that are operating at high EBIT that have demonstrable uh, IP, work within a niche or in a sector, uh, have three years of growth. Yeah, you're looking at premiums and deservedly so uh, above average.
0: And just on that, so it was just a specific question for me was, where where do we land on valuations now of trial commissions and all of those types of things, those grandfather benefits? Are they all gone now? or? Oh, they're all gone. Yeah, zero. Okay, day. great. So uh, people,
1: you, you. Yeah, so no grandfathered and all clients are engaged.
0: Yeah. No, that's great. Now, listen, the future. The future. If we're sitting here in a few years' time... <laughs> what do we look like as a profession?
1: Um, look, I, I I think not greatly dissimilar to what we are today, and mainly because I think we, as I said, I think we're 70% there now. Yep. Um, and we've achieved that, you know, over sort of 25, 30 years. So I, I think that, um, one, the the consumer... We'll sort of know, uh, you know, more about what, what financial advisors actually do. We will be respected uh, yep. by consumer, but also by other industries and also legislators as well. Um, we've built better businesses, you know, with fixed fees. We're uncoupled to market influences. We're looking at client value propositions and ensuring that there's quality of delivery, fairness on price and a, you know, Um, and and transparency with everything that we do. Uh, So, and then we've got all these growth impetuses uh, behind us, uh, you know, sort of the wind behind us with with super and, you know, um, retirements and baby boomers and all of this. Um, Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I think that it's, I suppose the advantage is that I'm somewhat of an outsider, you know, looking in, um, and I still, and that mental health survey that I did um, uh, in May, I think a lot of people uh, have still got their head down and not up. Uh, I think that it's been such a traumatic period for some, um, if not all to some degree, that we can sort of be sort of maybe... Still thinking about the past, present, rather than the opportunities of the future Yep. Uh, to have that you've got to have confidence and our confidence is being beaten as an industry to some degree, um but I think it is time to look up uh, i I that's think right. thats you know, and I mean that sincerely that's Yep.
0: I was going to make a joke that I thought you were talking as an outsider of being a Kiwi. That that was, <laughs> but, but, um, oh, there is that. <laughs> yes,
1: there's, there's always
0: that. But, um, Steve, that's great, man. And I do want to just acknowledge you and can you know congratulate your career and the impact you've had in this industry, um, heading into a profession. And I know you do a lot of work with a lot of different businesses, but. Yeah, I'm just sitting here saying, well done, mate. You've had a stellar career. I know there's more to
1: come. Thank you, Scott. I really appreciate it. Uh, really do, particularly uh, coming from you. So yeah, thank you.
0: No, that's great. So just I want to finish off now because there's been some there's been some gold in here. But if if I'm a young advisor starting out, yeah, or I'm an advisor a few years into my career, what, what do you think they should be looking for as, as part of their career path?
1: Um, well, I suppose the best example I can give is my son's just joined the career uh, and ah. in, in the industry, and so he was three, four years at EY, global tax, and then he's chosen to take step back in remuneration like and become a financial advisor. Yep. Um, he's got a law degree, he's got BCom, and he's got you know in, improving in, in ongoing education as we speak, and his decision. Uh, completely and it was it was really because of the opportunities as also you know this is a dynamic industry to be involved it's extremely rewarding you know um, for what how you can positively change someone's life yes it's Uh, it's a really
0: incredible role that you get to play
1: Yeah, it is. And it's a really important one. It's gratifying. It's food for the soul. And also, you know, you can um, feed your family uh, as well. Um, For him, it was working within a group where he can get the most education possible. So he did join a multidisciplined business. Um, They have uh, accounting FP, asset management, risk, mortgage, legal, uh, and well, yeah, and so there's a real diversity. Um, yep. Also, the advice is probably more in high net worth, which gives, again, probably a greater, um, I suppose, number or the greater the level of sophistication that you're presented with, then the, probably the greater learnings. Yes. Uh, there are on each uh, client's individual circumstances. So, uh, and whilst he's only relatively uh, new, um, he's loving it, and I, I think it's—he never even thought of it. And I think that's sort of the future, you know. Yeah, that's no, uh, great.
0: No, that's a—it's a really great case study close to home. <laughs> right. Uh, two final questions, mate. What's the best habit that's kept you? You know, uh, if you look back on your career, you go, "Wow, you know, that's that's really helped me this particular habit right through my business life and career. So something that stands out for you that you're not religious about, but it's. a
1: Yeah. It's, oh, it's a, I, I suppose the first one is do no harm. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm involved in transactions, but it, I suppose the whole way through is, you know. Never try to rip someone off or screw down a deal or you know um, do anything that um, you know didn't meet, I suppose, my own sort of moral compass of what's fair and equitable. You know, uh, a career, you know, thirty years and that take and reputation takes a long time to yeah. build. <laughs> back five just minutes prepare. to ruin. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that's you know do no harm, um, yeah. and, and if anything, do good and you know, uh, as much as can. Be it like education or you know uh, whatever you, you can do. Uh,
0: that's a that's a really lovely start point. <laughs> oh
1: well, our, that's fair, you know that's. Well,
0: and and what I've been asking everyone is the the last one is if you had to put one word and you had to write that one word on a rock. For you. You know, what will be the word for the next, you know, 12 months for you? Now, just to give you a little bit of time to think. So mine, a uh, few, you, uh, you know, my, one of my words for one year was joy. Yeah. Now, joy is not fun, right? Uh, and then the word for me has been enrichment this year. It's the lens I've been making decisions about how I go to work or show up for the family or, you know, act with, with clients, et cetera. Is there something that, is there a word that you would use as a lens to
1: look through for you? Uh, the first one that, uh, it's grow um and, and that's both from my personal as well as sort of the business yep um and, and grow to me is sort of just um i suppose it's learning you know yep. it's, uh, and so and, and that's one thing that you know I, I, I sort of try and commit to is is learning um um, I can sorry.
0: see by the bookcase behind you, there's a fair bit of that <laughs> sitting in the, for those listening. We've got quite a large bookcase full of <laughs> full of business books behind you. Mate, that is that's been great. I really want to thank you again. I thank you for your insights. Love to have you back on the podcast if we could, as we uh, as we develop uh, more and more how this, you know, industry, you know, lends itself t- towards, you know, the profession. And it'd be lovely to chat further about the trends that you see occurring. But once again, mate, thanks for your input, and thanks for your contribution to this particular this profession.
1: <laughs> oh, thanks again for the invite. Um, Appreciate it, uh, the opportunity, and uh, mate, thanks for doing this too. You know, it's, uh, and I hope it's uh, for your listeners. Uh, you know, they they get something from it. Right, go on you, mate.
0: Thanks for listening to The GAF Podcast. We've now developed the Essentials Package for Advisors. It's the Collaterals video and training for you to work in this high-net wealth space. Also, we're running a course for those who want to work with significant families and significant
1: individuals.
0: For more information, go to thegaff.com.au.